0: Welcome back to another episode of Art Matters, the podcast for artists. Today's guest is Katie Hector. Katie is an artist, a curator, and a writer based near Los Angeles, California. Hector's studio practice revolves around a series of process-based paintings that layer dye and bleach to create portrait likenesses that symbolize loss, grief, intimacy, and longing. Here's that conversation with Katie Hector. Like I'm on it's perfect and actually I got my two here right oh cool and nice um honestly let's if you don't mind let's start off today talking a little bit about the residency uh, oh, cool. in norch uh not your first residency your first residency
1: no not my first you so You've um, done a few yeah I've done a few before the pandemic I tried to make it a habit to like do some type of international two month residency
0: that's cool um, uh every
1: other year um, every other year just to like uh I think it was, it came from a place like when Trump got elected and I was living in New York and just like, uh, like a real yearning to go out and see other cities, Mm. um, and see what was going on in terms of their creative communities. And like, New York is such an amazing place, but, and it's like an epicenter on a lot of levels, but like, there are also different, like microcosms and conversations going on elsewhere.
0: Absolutely. I think it's so important, uh, spending, I think I was there for, eight or nine years at the end, it gets, you can get myopic there. I've said this oh, on the podcast yeah, before, cool. just like anywhere, like yeah, where totally. you just get, you you forget that how much of the world, the art world exists outside of the place that you're in. So that's yeah, very solid. Yeah, different
1: mediums, different, um, uh, the first, the first residency that I did was in Berlin. Uh, mm. and just to give you an example, like New York is like in my mind, especially at that time was like painting capital of the world, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like abex and like all these things that I was interested, uh-huh. um, and kind of learning about. Um, can and- I ask
0: what the Berlin was, uh, what it was called? Cause my first one was in Berlin.
1: too. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> mine was picture Berlin.
0: Okay. Mine was tact Berlin um which yes anyway continue
1: yeah um actually the woman the organizer of picture Berlin did this calendar series last year and that's that's uh she's a professor of photography at Bard Berlin Mm -hmm. that extension and so like on top of it she also runs this amazing residency I think we were like the ninth year to do it but cool um it was during the summer and Like I got the opportunity to do the residency and immediately for some reason I was like, oh, I want to curate a show out there too. Like if I'm there, like it would be cool just to do like a pop-up or something.
0: Was that one of the first curatorial experiences you'd had or was that also something that goes further back?
1: Uh, That's something that goes further back. Mm. And I think in my mind, curation is always revolving around like community, like organizing something together and, you know, from starting at like a a conversation at a bar or like getting a bunch of friends together and be like, let's do a show to like actually doing the show and having it like be up on the walls. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, I always kind of ended up around circles that like would do that or like, that was like the fun thing to do. Mm. Um, and then the other half of that, so part of its community and then the other part, um, of curating is like self-education. Like I mentioned,
0: self-education by seeing other types of art when you're, when you're, in a different city or some other type of education?
1: Um, I think it's, it's like the, yeah, it's a way to just always be looking at who's making what and what connections you like. It could come from a place of your practice. For me, it did, um, of like, this is what I'm making in my practice, but these are the other, you know, again, just like, uh, lines of dialogue that are going on, and who's saying what, and what would those look like in a room?
0: Do you like uh, being in that situation, m- meaning sort of in a melting pot with other artists? Uh, think grad school, undergrad, or even just a you know studio building in in Bushwick somewhere. Like, do, does that sort of um, community or dynamic uh, spur you to have? bigger ideas, it kind of electrifies or is it something that you like occasionally, but then you would prefer to, you know, remove yourself, do your work. Maybe that's the, every two years you do a residency.
1: Oh, okay. Like the unplugging
0: kind of. Yeah. Do you find you like going back and forth or do you really enjoy that kind of excitement of other artists?
1: Um, I think I need it. I think I absolutely, it's like totally necessary, um, to, my experience as a person, Mm. not only like as an artist, um, but especially as an artist is I've, I've always felt deeply that nobody can just be an artist on, on, unto themselves Hmm. on their own, like in a void in a room. And, you know, artists crave solitude a lot, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's not, you could be like the best talent you know, on the face of this earth. But like, mm. if you're not in dialogue with other people, if you're not kind of like figuring out what the parameters of whatever the conversations that's going on in contemporary art, mm. um, then, then that's just, you know, you're just in a bubble somewhere.
0: Can, um, speaking of that, uh, and I don't want to go too far into COVID cause I think everyone is tired of COVID stories. Oh uh, no,
1: let's go. Let's strap in. I'm curious
0: though <laughs> with that in mind, um, because I agree with you to an extent, but uh, you had said you had moved here right before COVID started. Is that right? From New York to L.A.? Uh-huh. Well, uh, actually,
1: Shortly May, May of 2020. So we're kind of like in the middle. In of, yeah, like in the middle of it. It was so, crazy.
0: So what was it like for that period of time? Um, I know you were doing some uh, online grad school, right? Mm-hmm. But you were in a bubble. Did you find your work just sort of, did it flatline? Or did you tap into something there and then, you know build from that
1: i think that's a great question um i think in my mind the the like impetus to move out here and pursue grad school was kind of like a even like committing to an even longer residency so to speak Hmm. so i'd be i'd be kind of committing to a two-year period of time as opposed to two months that's Um, a good point and it was, uh, I applied to grad schools on the East Coast as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just happened, and I uh, I think maybe three or four grad schools on the West Coast. Okay. Um, part of that logic was, I was just really interested in the paintings, you know, uh, that I'd seen come out of California. I, I was interested to see how people's work changed. Mm-hmm. People, uh, painters from England, painters from the East Coast, there's always a significant shift that happens within their work. So I think I was really interested in moving out here uh, because of the light or just a a different understanding of, you know, colors or, you know, exposure to plants versus like, you know, being in the middle of New York and stuff like that. I see. Um, How that could change the work. So I I guess that was like the main draw. Um, Again, in grad school, you can kind of like set aside two years and just like have an almost ideal working environment. So I was really interested in doing that at that point too.
0: Hmm. And did you already foresee um, uh, potential changes with your work? Sort of like um, uh, opportunities you could take if it all worked out and you found a beautiful home like this and you could work outside. I'm thinking about the airbrush, these other tools. Like, did you also feel in New York that you were um, subservient to the New York Style Studio or, or or something like that did you want your practice to expand um,
1: uh i think i i think most people who pursue grad school on some level want that want to kind of be ripped open and yeah. taken apart and examined and then put back together mm-hmm. you know uh figure out what what makes sense what do i carry forward what do i leave behind mm-hmm. kind of thing they're waiting for like that kind of like moment and just to put themselves to like a boot camp of like decision making and while being exposed to new information.
0: And that was you too. You wanted oh, to be open here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened then when, you know, life got in the way and it didn't turn out to go the way you thought? Did you find that you were capable of doing that, going down that path yourself? Or did you find that you didn't really need to go down that path? What happened after, after that first semester of grad school?
1: I think uh, there was a very practical decision that I, that I made, which was the thing that you moved across the country for isn't, isn't, uh, doesn't make sense. Hmm. And I can't convince myself that it makes sense to pursue this right now. Hmm. Um, and so then you look around and you're like, okay, so what do I have? um, (laughs) you know, in a time where you're like, okay, yeah, uh, it's like a reckoning or something. And so for me, I luckily the whole time I, 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 I've always had a very disciplined studio practice. It's really the core of like what keeps us all going. Mm. Um, and so at the time I you know, I was making paintings. I had a studio set up in the garage. Um, I was experimenting materially. I was, you know, doing all the things that we just talked about of like, really trying to like open myself up to whatever the next body of work was going to be. Um and so I ca- I counted that as a win. Um I had access to a vehicle so I counted that as a major resource hmm. in terms of just physically getting out to see shows and you know uh whatever can be done <laughs> with a car and a car alone, <laughs> you know. Um and it felt like it was horri- like horrifyingly scary because it felt like I have to start all over again. Of course. Um, after, you know, I spent so many years kind of carving out a lot of things in New York of and then course. moving all the way away from them and, like, yeah, just taking account of, like, what I had. Um, but, like, there's no other. there was, like, no other option to, like, not keep trying to make something happen, so...
0: I, he- I hear you when you say that, but mm-hmm. I, I'm so curious about... Um, so you found yourself in this situation. You just called it a reckoning, like a real obstacle at your feet.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: I, I want to ask about the studio practice and this discipline. But before we go there, I want to know, what di- was there a period of time when you just sort of you got stuck or you froze up? I mean, because the idea of doing all of that moving and transplanting yourself and then... I just wonder if I think a lot of artists hit obstacles or challenges. And then the worst part is what happens after and kind of getting yourself back into third gear, like going Mm -hmm. again. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering when you talk about your studio practice, was it something where you could really just throw yourself right back in and that brought you back up? Or did you go through a period of time where you were like, you know, art wasn't really, um, um, initiating, you know,
1: mm. much luckily, I mean, this is for better or for worse, but mm-hmm. I, I just tend to be a maker, Okay, you know? Um, so I can make, I just have to make in any capacity. Okay. Uh, and sometimes that's like really bad work or that's like transitional work that I have to work through to get to like a new kind of, you know, uh, summit. Hmm. Uh, but the core of my practice is to make and then i can go back and edit and make decisions later and things like that. Okay. Um so because that's such a generative like uh intellectually stimulating process uh-huh. uh it doesn't it didn't feel like i had to like take a step back from my practice too. Okay. Um i think i yeah there were there were different ways that i was able to kind of like continue on like generating work hmm. uh in a, in a number of ways. Um so that that's always that's like the through line.
0: So you're not afraid of bad work. You can just make a bad painting or a bunch of bad paintings and it doesn't. Uh... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. I, I don't think uh, yeah, I, I think about this or I have for like the past couple of months. Hmm. Um, reflecting on like undergrad and like the critique environment and yeah. like, you know, uh, you put up a work on a wall and everyone's like going through it and kind of giving feedback and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it it creates kind of like the most intense situation uh, for an artist to like sit and analyze every single piece that they make and hold it to like a certain standard of like what they want to achieve. Yeah. Uh, you know, what do they want to be saying visually? Uh, but I think in, in real life or in real practice, in my practice, Mm -hmm. um, it's just a, it's a part, you know, it's a part of life and mistakes are really crucial Mm -hmm. and having the flexibility to see value in, uh, failure is yeah.
0: um very important. Yeah. I um now we need to go here because I am that <laughs> artist you described before, you know, the the guy that doesn't let anything die and just sits there and forces things into existence. And uh-huh. and I do think that there are there are probably more camps, but so far um I've very clearly defined those two. You know, the artists that aren't afraid of the bad paintings and the making mistakes and letting things go, and mm-hmm. then the other artists that aren't cool with that Mm. but i'm curious because i've it's probably grass is always greener kind of Mm -hmm. the look of it but i tend to think your way is a bit healthier and i'm wondering if um when you're in the studio if you have things uh, not so much like that because maybe you didn't even choose to be like that maybe it was natural but do you think have you put into your practice or out of your practice many things that have helped helped you find balance? I mean, because of these obstacles that we talked about and because, I mean, I understand you've got a very solid work ethic and that is, um, I'm sure that can keep you going how you've described it, but a lot of artists, including myself, have uh, taken a long time to actually start putting together a foundation onto which you can put your studio practice mm-hmm. so uh this we could break down in a bunch of different ways oh yeah First of totally, all, like let's go studio health uh you uh-huh. know sort of like parameters how you take care of yourself in the studio i know you use bleach and some other things oh totally yeah, but yeah. that's uh we can get to that later i'm uh-huh. more curious about just you know, you you're in a very healthy city. Everyone here drinks smoothies. And, I know, and, uh, right? I'm, dr- I'm
1: drinking beer right now, but the oh, thing yeah. that I have to go to is a workout session afterwards. There so you know. it's just see, like, it. see, that's the balance. That's the balance. And it's only fair
0: to point out that I brought the beer. So, yeah, it's totally uh, you
1: know. fine. Yeah, let's. Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: but no, uh, really, about you know, whether it's like mental health stuff or it, do you have you put anything into your daily uh, into your day that you found helps even things out, balance your
1: self. Yeah. I think one thing that I can point to, and I I think before I say what it is, Hmm. uh, the things that my body needed as a 25 year old are very different than what just as a human being, like, uh, like chemically what I need now as a 31 year old, like it's just a span of a few years, but Uh, there's been a very noticeable and palpable shift, Hmm. uh, wherein, like, as a 25-year-old, I was, like, running around and, like, riding my bike all over the city, like, New York City. like, was working as a carpenter, so just, like, working these crazy hours, like, just expending so much energy and, like, going out to bars and, like, drinking whiskey all night and stuff like that. So, like, I was just living on, like, that (laughs) kind of level, Um, which is great, and I still have that much energy, but... uh, But my brain reacts to, like, alcohol very differently now. Mm -hmm. And uh, my body operates uh, at its best when, you know, I'm physically active for, like, at least an hour every day or something like that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely something that moving to Los Angeles taught me and humbled me because I still was here as, like, a very headstrong New Yorker of, like, why can't I go to bars and do everything I used to do? And then, you know, that shift happened. So. I feel like as a human right now, like that's kind of something that keeps me very motivated is like going to the gym, exercising, getting outside, physical activity. Um, And with that kind of like energy level, I can bring that to my practice and just be better prepared Hmm. um, with like a really clear head and like, you know, um, like just a very positive mindset. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to pause here. So you, you mentioned a very disciplined studio practice. Can you, maybe we all have different definitions of s- discipline. My version would just be that I'm undisciplined. So please describe yeah, what you mean by it. Like you could either describe a day or just generally what's it like in the studio when it's just you in there?
1: Um, yeah, right now I have a really wonderful live workflow mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the space that I've set up, uh, and so like a typical day, uh, you know, when I'm kind of, when I've got a deadline and I'm kind of starting to build out a body of work, um, is to like, wake up, I will go to the gym in the morning. I try to do that if at all possible. I mm-hmm. oftentimes fall short, but, um, that really, you know, kind of gives me momentum to like keep going. Mm. Um, uh, I will, I kind of always had this cycle of like painting, stretching canvases, priming canvases, and then like this whole like unstretching too, uh, when I make edits or if I have to like ship something out. Hmm. Um, so there's kind of this, I I have to also mention administrative work too is like Mm -hmm. a huge part of it. So, um, between the outside studio actually generating work, painting it on the wall, stretching canvases on that big table outside priming yeah. them on that wall and then coming in here and doing like computer work um i'll try to do that like from i don't know maybe like ten ten thirty until you know around six o'clock evening time hmm. um so like kind of like regular business hours in a no, way but like super solid yeah, yeah just always working on um different elements i guess that need to be kind of addressed um yeah, with, with the work, but...
0: And do you ever find that the... Um, so how many hours do you think in the studio painting, painting, is that pretty consistent every day? Or some days is there like a flow state and you just blow through the admin stuff and go way past 6 I wish.
1: Like... I wish I could just get done with the admin stuff. Um, I like it to a certain extent, but obviously it's not as satisfying as painting. Sure. Um, Painting-wise, I like to work on like a, a few things at once. Mm-hmm. Um, typically like I'll lay out a painting or I'll lay out like three or four paintings all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then throughout the night and day, I can kind of just like work on it, like let a layer dry, work on it. Mm, gotcha. Um, but because it's all airbrush, it also goes very quickly. Um, so That's I a good call, yeah, yeah, I can make paintings fairly quickly, but then there's uh and I try to, you know, just get all my ideas out there and then once the work is kind of, like, developing, then I can make decisions as to, like, you know, do I want to keep this one? Is this something, you know, I have to revisit in another work or something like that?
0: And working on two or three paintings at once, is that purely a technical decision because of drawing time and the space in your studio? Or uh, is there something that you actually like about multiple images being made uh, shoulder to shoulder?
1: Uh, I think it's more, like, how my mind works. Uh, My mind is not, like... I uh I don't like when things are like okay you're starting them from scratch and then like working all the way through it until the end. Yeah. And then I'll pick up and start the next one kind of like, you know, in that sequence as well. Um I'd rather have like, you know, five pots on a stove and just like tending to different things and mm. you know, um yeah, just like kind of always having like that flow or that kind of like cyclical I see. Mm-hmm.
0: So a start to finish. I mean, I'm the same way um, as often as I can be. Mm-hmm. Um, does it feel like, have you always worked like that? Or was there a period of time when you just did the start to finish that kind of, cause that can feel like labor sometimes, right. Or precious or, or something. It, it's like a,
1: I think I'm a very unprecious precious uh, painter yeah. mm-hmm. or maker. Okay. Um, uh, I think, you know, uh, circling back to what we were saying earlier, hmm. I think you, you were, uh, sharing your experience. And in my mind, I was like, you know, thinking about how much canvas costs. Cause like a square of canvas maybe costs like $4 and 50 cents or whatever. And I'm mm-hmm. like, for the mental anguish, I would throw away this canvas and just start a new one uh, for $4, you know, for however much it costs. It's like right. so nominal that like, you know, I'd rather just like clear wave to make, you know, new, better work. Hmm. Um, uh, So yeah, so yeah. there's not a, I think that's like a non-preciousness, but you know.
0: Let me ask too, uh, going out into your studio, there Mm -hmm. were quite a few pieces there, um, in process and finished, I think Mm -hmm. you said. Yeah. But then you told me that this is like, this is an empty looking studio for you. Mm, So do you, I understand what you just said about like, nah, just clear it away if it's not working. But Mm -hmm. I have (laughs) the situation where I usually don't like too much of my even current work in the sort of visible space of my studio. Like I Mm -hmm. like to clear things away and maybe to have the two pieces next to each other but mostly clear. You're not like that. You don't Mm -hmm. mind sort of a a studio full of um active or functioning paintings already that it's it's not uh doesn't bother you.
1: I think it's I think it's really great uh to draw from there are at least a few like little paintings that I'll leave out. Mm to just like kind of read off of if I'm making work, it's like, you know, sure. uh, either palette wise or something working in that painting or, um, you know, in terms of how th- something was executed, I'll just like be able to kind of like remember what I did, the moves that I was making. Sure. um, so I think yeah, I think it's always helpful for me just to see like a few things just to like keep in mind sometimes those are mistakes too or I'm like don't do that or like, oh,
0: that's interesting.
1: yeah, I'll be yeah. like, okay, that wasn't the right ratio of like paint like you know, kind of thing so
0: keep it around to shame yourself a little bit
1: just to you know? just to be like just to be like that's you know it's like more of a feeling of like that's close, but it's not it's not there. So like let mm-hmm. me keep that whatever that is that's like that is working that I do like. Uh, let me just learn from it for a little bit longer.
0: Do you do much, uh, note taking do you do writing that is just about your studio practice?
1: Uh, I have a, I have a really, I've, I have a really weird, uh, note keeping practice right now.
0: Tell me everything.
1: Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, there are times in my life where I was writing mm-hmm. and was working through a lot of my ideas like via language. Yeah. Um, at this point my writing practice is more like it's just like a square of cardboard mm. that like I keep around and like while I'm either making or while I'm in the house, like I'll just like just like an idea will pop up and I'll be like, Okay, I need to like just jot that down before it goes away. Ninety mm. percent of the time I won't look at it again. Uh it just goes off into like a drawer somewhere or like I transcribe it later. But um a lot of my note taking is like one word, two words you know a couple sentences or something like that and it's just kind of like a list of just like trigger words or something
0: interesting and they come to you while you're painting
1: Mm -hmm. or just like you know throughout the day i'm just i always have like a sharpie and like a little something to write on interesting nearby yeah
0: and that i'm just so curious about it is it something about the throwaway potential or you just got tired of a notebook i mean (laughs) now i'm I'm just asking for a friend who also uh you know It's kind
1: of, I, you know, I, I've always been, I've always been the kid that like, uh, like writes down to do lists. Mm -hmm. So in a way it's more, yeah, it's more like a to do list of just like, Hey, keep this in mind. is like, 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 or like, Hey, you're going to the grocery store. This is what you're going to need or something like that. It's just Mm. like, you know, the words that seem really relevant. I'm like, let's just keep those around. And like, again, they'll be on a tabletop in the studio or like sometimes I write them on the wall or something. Mm. Um, but, yeah, just to keep them in mind when I'm making, working. Cool.
0: And yeah. I like it. What about um, what about drawings? Uh, I guess it's a good time to jump into the um, sort of how you make the work as much as you'd like to share. Um, it's figurative work. I've seen a fair amount of it. I saw a self-portrait at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's friends and other people you don't know maybe. But uh-huh. – uh. Based on drawings, based on photographs, where, where do you start and how do you get to the point of stretching a painting and painting a painting?
1: I think all of the work is, is, comes from a photographic base. Okay. Um, which I think is really, for me, it's, it's a really good point of departure and just very, um, it's like an interesting conversation that I've been trying to like work through with this particular body of work. Hmm. Um and this
0: one in particular, or was uh, the photograph always I involved think, with this? I
1: mean low-key always, because like mm-hmm. when you're I don't know, when you've had a practice for a very long time, like even as a kid if you're drawing or whatever, yeah. Versus like as an adult you're making work now, is like there's a lot more similarity or crossover. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of don't you change too much in terms of what your interests are. Sure. Um but yeah, I think growing up as a millennial in like a image culture and just everyone having access to cameras and yeah. self-fashioning or however you want to posture your, your own identity via an image mm-hmm. uh, was always just a really interesting conversation. Mm. Um, and so for this particular body of work, yeah, it's it's there. For me and probably for me alone, It's it's much more interesting to consider the paintings as like images of people as opposed to, oh, this is a person you know okay, what I mean? Cause okay. yeah, it's like a form of, um, uh, you know, projecting self or something.
0: Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and you, you take the pictures yourselves or, or do you ever take a found photo? Is that something that you've,
1: yeah, I've worked with found photos quite a bit. Okay. Um, I would say the work is largely, um, responding to kind of photos, you know, you know, kind of dredged from the internet Hmm. in so many different places Hmm. um uh, a lot of different image searches uh trying to find images that i think will translate well through this process but also images that are like evocative or can kind of like be recontextualized um Hmm. via painting um yeah i think i'm really interested in that kind of like transformation Mm -hmm. that happens but uh, for the most part, they're, they've all been found or researched, and now I'm starting to integrate a few more photos that I'm taking. Cool. Of like, you know, friends or people, you know, people that I know in real life and stuff.
0: How do you think the scale impacts your work? I mean, I was seeing there's a, I haven't seen too much of it in person besides you know what's in your studio, but mm-hmm. the smaller pieces. I mean, first of all, they all work so completely differently than they do online through Instagram. Oh, totally, yeah, yeah. And that's not like (laughs) a a new story, but there's um, uh, and I'm sure you're more aware of this than anyone else. The the smaller scale uh, portraits that you have or figures that you have, to me, they work so vastly differently than the big ones. You know, it's it's almost like you're you're after something different with the big ones. Is that accurate?
1: uh I think they i think there are a few things that I'm aware of that happen mm. uh you know just purely like material wise okay yeah um where scale uh really affects the outcome mm-hmm. uh it comes down to gesture i think for, uh like for me while I'm making it um the small ones tend to be more revealing of like the materials that they are like dye and bleach Mm -hmm. Um, where you get these like really weird chemical kind of moments. Um, These really kind of glowy, weird, you know, it doesn't Mm. read as paint Mm. in the same way. Um, And I think for the larger ones, they still have a lot of gesture. They still kind of have my hand in there, but... Um, Yeah, I'm really, I am really interested conceptually of like, okay, making like a figure way larger than life, like a colossal. Mm -hmm. And just like, what are the implications of that? And um, what information am I giving the viewer? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, you have a good deal of space there. And, and uh, I don't know, I've just been thinking about this more recently, which is the, you know what it does what it changes when you're a figurative artist and you have one figure versus two figures in Mm -hmm. in on your surface and you know when it becomes life size versus when it's slightly bigger slightly smaller or when Mm -hmm. you capture it all into this um you know this dense little yeah this exactly uh sweet dense little um rectangle but i think that these are questions too not to uh explain to the audience i think when you're a figurative painter these are all such important things to be sensitive to and to understand like the um the power of scale you know moving i mean i don't think everyone's like me who just sort of always just wanted to get bigger and bigger and bigger with my paintings but Mm -hmm. there's not only is there sort of a different way in which these paintings speak but you're right technically your gesture changes mm-hmm. the material changes like it's such a it's very complicated maybe that's what i'm There's, coming around to yeah. the, the difference between even the scales i'm seeing in your in your studio now it really is complicated or, to make functional paintings at vastly different sizes like you're doing do you find mm-hmm. either one of them more challenging or are they kind of or not
1: Um, I have a, a particular affinity for working large. Mm,
0: Um,
1: I very much enjoy like from the place of a gesture using my entire body to Mm. work on a surface as opposed to like my arm or my wrist or something like that, like holding a brush. Mm. Um, so I just, I just find that like experience, like exuberant and like really enjoyable. Mm. Um, but in terms of the small ones too, Mm -hmm. is like, yeah, there's a level of intimacy. There's also a level of, like, uh, they become a little bit more mysterious. Oh, that's
0: interesting. Um,
1: I feel like the smaller the work gets, the more center stage the material becomes. Mm. And, again, that kind of, like, um, awareness of, you know, something's going on on the surface that's, like, not quite a painting. Um, mm. It's a little more alchemical. Like, how is this image being made? Um, is also really exciting. Mm. Um so yeah, they do. They do. Like I find different joys in both of them. I don't. I'm not too. I do employ scale. Employ scale. Kind of different. Like I'm aware of like how that's employed, but uh, but it's never like, like I'm. I have no hesitation. I guess in terms of like either or.
0: Gotcha. mmm Catch gotcha. Yeah, I um. I can relate. Except I. I very much know that there's a different hand that goes into my smaller work and my bigger work. Mm-hmm. And and I appreciate them both. But why I like big work is the idea that you can get lost in a certain part of a painting and then mm. move over to another part of it. And it feels like, oh, you've never been here before. Like there's mm, a kind totally, of like yeah. surprise built into it because there's a... There's, there's more space. There's more space. Yeah. There's more things to get lost in. and And that idea that you can just... Yeah, that, that the square footage of a of a big canvas, it's like you never know what you're gonna get yourself into.
1: Right? Oh yeah, Unless yeah. You, are you could really just great
0: like stepping back all the time, which I am not.
1: Well again too, like in terms of like having the flexibility to fail or something like that. You mm-hmm. know, my uh example was like, Oh yeah, if it's not working, it's like four dollars and fifty cents worth of canvas. When you get big, then that's like that's a, true. That's a that's a different true. ball game, you know what I mean? But it's yes, yes, still course. not, you know, it's it's really easy to like uh start off a big painting one way and then very quickly just get like a smack down, like, just like, mm-hmm. all right, things aren't working. I don't know what to do, you know, and have yeah. to figure it out. But, um, but yeah, that just takes a, yeah, it's really cool just to like, again, just kind of go through a mode of like getting comfortable at that scale and just like keep going, you know, keep pushing.
0: Absolutely. What about getting comfortable with new materials? So you're using a few things that I've, things i've used a few things i have not used mm-hmm. i'm curious when the um and you can speak uh, to other materials that i'm unaware of but when did the uh, airbrush come into your work when did the um bleach come into it mm-hmm. and what's your process of taking on new materials to something like painting which you're probably already pretty good at but then what's the decision making like when you say you know what Bring on something, something new that, that's gonna fuck up the next ten paintings. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. When was it? What brought you there? And then, what were the? What did you get out of it? I guess mm. bringing those materials in.
1: Yeah, I think I've always, you know, I'm painting uh, figuratively now, and in a way that's representational, but. Uh-huh. Uh, I think what's always guided me from like as early as I can rem- remember is like a like a love for like material um mm. and just like testing out different materials and okay. like um specifically within the realm of painting I haven't I haven't really transcended past the two-dimensional surface. Sure. Um but yeah, I think I think my background was always I always had kind of access to like art materials but then I also had access to like industrial materials um which i thought were just as like you know paint was paint was paint Mm -hmm. um and it kind of yeah it just kind of gave me like a a bigger uh palette to kind of like mess with or like to poke at um so that was yeah that's a that's you know a through line i guess another one Mm so it didn't Um,
0: strike you as like Oh my God, what am I doing bringing this in your, this is, you've always liked experimenting with these material, new materials, bringing yeah. things in your work that would upset the flow of things. Yeah. So I this think was...
1: the previous body of work that I made to this was like entirely abstract, but it was very like surface centric. Hmm. Um, and I was incorporating materials like cement and sawdust and spray paint and enamel and just like, you know, kind of throwing like the kitchen sink at every painting, um, which is really great. That's a great
0: learning. You would still call it 2D though, having not seen these paintings. I, I would mean, say they yeah, had active surfaces, but it was still very much a
1: they were fairly painting on a wall. Re- yeah, they're yep. fairly rectilinear, and if not like the you know, they were relief at best, you know. Hmm. Um so yeah, yeah, I got really funky right before coming out here. <laughs> and then um kinda yeah, made this return to like figuration, which I hadn't done really since high school um so that was that felt like that felt like even weirder than yeah like i was gonna say material. you kind of
0: buried the lead there you got to figuration also so yeah you left the realm of abstraction along with everything else in new york uh uh-huh, uh-huh. came to la and just became a figure painter
1: yeah well Damn. but i think my, my earliest crumbled
0: i could have done all those changes at once
1: <laughs> my earliest foray into making drawing painting was you know representational and image based and things like that sure um so if anything it just felt like a revisiting like my you know 14 year old self or something like that got it um but with a different totally different understanding totally different education of paintings um so it was really it was like a really wonderful time to kind of like open up that can of
0: worms again I think um, that makes perfect sense, and it a bit mirrors my own experience. Um, I think that the I didn't plan on becoming a figurative painter. But,
1: um, <laughs> no one does. No one does. Right?
0: <laughs> but I was doing all these abstract uh, abstract pieces. I never considered myself an abstract painter either. Uh-huh. I wasn't, you know, big into these categories. But uh-huh. my thought always was, when you're asked between, well, which one are you? Which one you prefers? You got to learn one to do the other, and then you mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. stumble in and stumble out as your career continues, but I, I'm sure it goes the other way too, but I firmly believe if you want to be a figurative painter, you start as an abstract painter. You don't Mm -hmm. have to, but it helps the work. I think it's a
1: pendulum, you know, Mm -hmm. and the pendulum's always swinging. Um, I can't remember the exact essay, but I think Amy Silman speaks to that.
0: Yeah, she does.
1: Um, and so I think for me, like, you know, reading, you know, a take on painting that's kind of more open to these changes happening, you know, they feel seismic, but at the end of the day, you're making a painting. Hmm. Um, and just to be open to like, wherever the work wants to take you. Um, yeah.
0: It's so interesting. I'm, this is, this is probably a hot take, but I, I think we both came, became emerging artists around the same time where there were still these, these conversations tied into both of these camps mm-hmm. with where abstraction, you know, after all this postmodern stuff where, you know, abstraction has a sense of humor about it or a sense of irony or all of these things. Boyfriend. Ah, I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, a pause for a house guest. <laughs> <laughs> so I, what was I saying before? Um, Oh, I was just saying in general, we kind of came up in a time when abstraction still had these funny things kind of going against it. If you were an abstract painter, you couldn't be too romantic. You had Mm -hmm. to have a little bit of a, you know, a sense of a sense of sarcasm about it. And Figuration Mm -hmm. 2, I think that conversation actually changed while we were over the last 10 or 20 years. I know it changed as a matter of fact, but.
1: Yeah, it's it's we it's um, again that's just another pendulum.
0: Exactly, and that's um, my point: is artists now, and I think you and I are also primed in, uh, like we understand this pendulum, is that none of those camps, the definitions, the understandings, all of that is temporary, temporal. You know, like a figurative painter now and an abstract painter now can be holding hands we can go back and forth like it's it, it's it's it, there's a, i'm not we're saying it's mar- a perfect we're marrying
1: like the Ashcan school with like abex or something there you know you yeah there yeah yeah go. it's it's like all of that can exist without the hierarchies and without the isms and same you
0: know. sandbox mm-hmm. not to say there's not a million problems with the art world but but it is if you kind of squint your eyes and look at it it's mm-hmm. it's pretty groovy being a painter type now now let's go back. So we were talking about, we, we did this circle and we were talking about, uh, the mediums that you chose to bring in once you, uh, uh, once you came here. And then Mm -hmm. we got into the fact that your figurative work started at that same time. So I don't know, anything you want to say about that? Were you, were you tired of the abstraction? Were you just seeing that, you know, like Gustin style, was there just a figure forming in the center of your abstractions and it was, it was time or did it, was it just organic? You said you had done these, uh, that's sort of where you came from and it seemed time to return.
1: I I would say it was really organic. Okay. Um, it was, it was like a, like a, a coming home in a certain way, but it was also just like having a totally different understanding of figuration and its implications and, uh, you know, what to show, what not to show and how incredibly crucial those details are. Interesting. Um, and you know, on a lot of levels, and I think because again, I'm really fascinated with materials is, you know, uh, for me, the process, these are still abstract paintings. I don't want to sound like cliche, like these are still fat. like, no, 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 but, I I uh, in terms of, you know, uh, my fascination with surface that's always kind of the guiding principle um and so it it just feels whether there's a figure present or whether i'm like manipulating the surface even more with kind of the other materials that i mentioned um there's still this kind of conversation happening on this like you know on the surface of the canvas of course yeah Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely let's uh move away from your work for a moment and uh, this is kind of a new york question but it's not really a New York question.
1: Where's your favorite pizza place?
0: Where's your favorite pizza place? <laughs> uh, no, my question is: You used a, a phrase when we were in the studio. Uh, wait, did I already forget it? That in New York you were kind of exploding in all directions.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think by that you meant—and correct me if I'm wrong—that you were doing uh, more than just painting. You were—I know you've done a lot of cu- curatorial work, mm-hmm. um, uh, writing as mm-hmm. well. Um, Sort of participating in multiple facets of the art world during that time, probably still. Mm -hmm. But I felt, and I think a lot of other artists uh, can relate to this, that my time in New York was very much stuck in a... Not stuck. Not stuck altogether stuck. But it didn't feel very possible that I could expand from what I already knew. My painting practice was here. My part-time job was here. Mm-hmm. My social life was here. These things happen. You know, it's sort of it all forms. together like triangulate, yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so I'm really interested in the idea that for me, I had to leave New York to sort of start thinking, oh, you know what? there are other ways I could apply myself. Like that's where this podcast came from, uh, some other projects I'm working on. Totally. And they're
1: they're so generative to
0: your core practice. That's the, that's the idea. So I'm wondering, would you have any advice? Like, how did you take that first step into saying, you know what, I'm going to take some time away from my studio work and I'm going to see if I can put a show together or, you know, I feel like writing about some art. Where did, Maybe it was, again, your flow state and you just, you know, go, go, go. But I just think a lot of artists would benefit from knowing, no matter where they are, no matter how tight they are financially, that they can expand and that expansion does help core work. So it's not like Mm. you're just you know, pissing away your time or, or yeah.
1: Yeah. I can, um, uh, for all of these, I feel like there's always a a really critical juncture that I could look back to and remember exactly the time and place where I was, Yeah. where it was like, you know, this is the path forward. This is, this is a decision that I'm making. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, for example, I remember, uh, I graduated from undergrad June 16th okay uh wait no may 16th and then by june 1st uh i was in brooklyn hmm. so i moved there i didn't have a job i just like moved there because i was like i just need to get here and then once i'm here it'll i'll figure it You'll out figure it out <laughs> Yeah. <Okay. laughs> which is what most people do i would say right um so yeah there were about two months of like handing in applications and like not having an income and just like okay like when is a job gonna click like whatever yeah um and in the meantime, uh, also like emailing professors, like anyone and anyone that I would like bumped into, uh, on any level from undergrad, I was just like reaching out to them and I was like, how, like, like, what is, what do we do? Like, what is that? Like, how can I get community together? How can I get critiques going? Like, sure. you know, those are all part of your undergrad experience or just an arts education. Um, and they're, they're really crucial, but you know, manifesting them out of absolutely nothing. Once you graduate from any kind of program is, is daunting. Yeah. Um, and you're like either I'm going to plug into something that already exists or if it doesn't exist and I'll make my own, mm-hmm. those are kind of the two options or, or the third is just like,
0: don't, or don't do it. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> or don't do it. Sure, sure. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I remember being at that place. I remember right before graduation, it just felt like there was this huge wall. I was on one side, real life, whatever that meant was on the other side Mm -hmm. and I couldn't see over the wall and I was just like freaking out. I was just like, what's going to happen? Like, Mm. what is, what is my life going to look like? Um, and then once I graduated, it was just like, I just remember putting in an insane amount of effort to like reach out and to find things and to Mm. go to panel discussions and to like any little bit of free time that I had between that first job that I got. And whatever time I was spending in the studio and like not eating, not sleeping. I was just like really curious. Tell me um, a
0: little bit what you mean by reaching out, because I think there's a lot of bad advice out there that tells young artists to cold call people and ask for shows and things. And I don't mm, think that's what you're talking about. here. I
1: would, I would definitely cold call. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wouldn't, it wouldn't be to ask for a show. Okay. Um, it would, I had a really good understanding that the way to enter into forging a career was not to ask for things, but to ask for, like, ask if I could help do something for somebody else. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, like, uh, I would, like, again, like, I didn't really have that many resources when I was living in New York or in Brooklyn and money's mm-hmm. always tight and stuff like that, but I did have a car. I had access to a vehicle. Mm. So something I would do is, like, if there was an artist that I really admired, um you know, they'd be, like, posting, like, like, oh, like, I have this show coming up and, like, you know, I'm, like, stressed out or, like, whatever. Like, uh, oftentimes, like, I would just reach out and be, like, yo, do you need any help? And, like, I don't know mm. what I was going to help with, but, like, you know, sometimes they would need help, like, getting their work from their studio to the show or something like that. That's pretty smart. Or maybe, or maybe, you know, somebody, like, there's openings that are going on and, like, you see that somebody else is going and you're, like, hey, do you want to ride to that or something? Hmm. And I feel like those little like car rides of just like people who's at practices that I really admire, just like, you know, you're in New York, you're stuck in traffic, you know, and, but you have this person's ear that you could just like ask them stuff and you can have a conversation with them. And it's a little bit more intimate than like being in a gallery opening or something like that.
0: I love that. I think Um, that's so cool.
1: Yeah, it comes, but I, I would say like my, my biggest advice is it comes from a place of giving. Like when you enter into the world, I don't think it matters what profession you're in. Like, don't go in feeling really entitled oh, to like, oh, all these things should just shower. You know, I know that that's the that's the goal that they teach you in school. But um, but if you go in kind of with more of a giving attitude, not to get exploited, but, you know, a truly yeah, you genuinely make sure you got like, your lines. Really yeah,
0: because, totally. you know, free labor is. Uh, yeah, you know. totally.
1: Totally. Yeah. Just make sure. Yeah, I would say just just always be curious and like, let that. Let that kind of dictate what you do or don't do.
0: That's great advice. Uh-huh. I'll jump on and add a little bit more. That uh, something I've found recently has been helping uh, in the publishing game is reaching out and cold calling, but not um, uh, but just out of the sake of curiosity.
1: Yeah, you just say, "Hey, man, I like this work." Yeah.
0: Could I ask, "Hey, man, I like this work. I'm a fan. Is it possible if I could ask you a question?" And then maybe you Mm -hmm. have the question there. You know, I think I stole this from uh, Tim Ferriss, who's a much bigger podcaster. But the idea that you can um, you can actually you can steal other people's time to that minimal amount where they will still actually or they could actually give you something without too much effort on their on their part.
1: I think people want to help. I think they do. And I,
0: I, I don't think everyone wants to help. But I do think that if you do that to maybe 10 artists that you really like, hey, big fan, maybe I could ask you a question or two mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to 10 people. Maybe one of them is going to get back to you. Not because they don't want to. Maybe they just won't see it. Yeah, yeah. But I I, I kind of wish I had done that before because I think uh-huh. there's a shyness and sort of a stoicism that I was just like, I don't, I don't want to bother <laughs> people. I don't want to ask for things that I. Yeah, yeah. But I, so I really like your, your idea and I think add in a little bit of reaching out not asking for more than a question but
1: yeah go yeah. go with like a helping yeah like try to try to add cool. something you know what i mean don't try to don't try to take yeah be be somebody who goes in with like a helping kind of can do attitude and most people really respond to that even yeah i think cold calls are you know dropping into somebody's dms and being like yo i really like your work really excited for the show that's coming up you know uh hey i've been following your work for a long time and like what you're doing is great. And like all of those just end up kickstarting a conversation. And from there you can like, I don't know, it's happened to me so many times where it's like the artists that I admire just through those little, like kind of kickstarters end up like a couple years down the line being like really close
0: friends. It's absolutely how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. And it's so nice to, and I think it's easier to say it after the fact, but once you've had that happen a few times, you you do start to realize that these,
1: People you are know. the artists. Are people? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're all and like scared, little, vulnerable humans. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, uh, whatever someone else's career might look like, it's they are just people, and they're yeah, just we're working. all we're
1: all working super hard. And you know,
0: very few of us, I've at least found with this podcast, are really unwilling to share ideas and help and mm-hmm. advice. And you know, most people are just busy. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um. One. Oh, but tell me just a bit more, if you don't mind, about uh, the writing and the curating you, so you got to New York, you were all over trying to add a, trying to, hand, yeah. trying to figure out life. Yeah. Figure out life. But then when you got your studio practice up and running or did mm-hmm. the curatorial writing stuff happen before you had a proper studio and had a practice?
1: I would say, um, the curatorial thing has kind of always been there, but again, that's like tied really intrinsically to like a sense of community and organizing.
0: Right. And, okay.
1: Um, you know being able to like materialize you know you know everyone's kind of efforts, yeah, um, yeah, moved to New York, didn't have a job, didn't know what was going on, was reaching out to a bunch of people. I landed this job, which I really loved, hmm. um which is being a manager for a fabrication studio in the carpentry department, cool, um, which ended up just being like a really great skill set to like work within and around the arts in some capacity
0: did you have carpentry experience before that a
1: little bit yeah yeah. and i got i got a little bit more in undergrad which was really great um and then i think yeah from uh my response to the job description it was the fact that i knew how to drive big vehicles and um you know i had some carpentry experience i was able to get this job which ended up being amazing and i had Mm. you know i was able to like start having a little bit of savings and like I had a really good friend group and things like that. Sure. Um, But I think midway through, I realized like my studio practice, yeah, it's hard to strike that balance where like the studio's getting like what it needs. Yeah. And so I was making a lot of work, but it was always like in the evenings in my living room. I didn't have a separate studio. Um, And so I think after a year, I took a look at the work that I'd produced and I just wasn't very satisfied with it. Okay. And I realized like a major shift kind of needed to happen. Um, and so that was kind of like a learning moment of like, there's a big difference between like your work and your job yeah. and understanding that I probably have enough skills wherein I'll always be able to kind of have a job or like I'll always make a job happen or, you know, there's always going to be some way that the rent is going to be- get paid.
0: Solid, yeah,
1: but to never to never put the job before my work, my work always had to come first, yeah, uh, and at the time, you know, I'm not generating a lot of income from my work, if anything, it's like a big money hole of just like studio rent and materials and time and energy and stuff like that, yeah, um, but i I realized the importance of the amount of time that the work needed, yeah, and again, to make that the priority and understand that the job would just. Something would always happen and, you know, I'd figure it out, got you know, kind of thing. So I ended up, uh, like leaving that job <laughs> for that, uh, on that principle of just
0: the studio required
1: more, the studio sure. required more. So I, I left that job, uh, got a part-time job, uh, took on the expense of a, a studio that was external to my apartment. Okay. Um, and yeah, I just kind of took that like that was like the first little leap, you know, of just like I don't know what's going to happen, but like I need to follow the work and put everything towards that and like you know, I moved to New York and you know, I have a I have a job and I'm able to pay my rent. So like now that I can do that, like I moved here to be an artist. You know, I didn't move here to like work a job.
0: I had a realization like that,
1: too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and so yeah, I kind of have this realization that uh, a really, uh, I would say young, youngish age, Mm. um, or pretty early on where that ended up kind of dictating the next like seven to 10 years of just like work, uh, you know, studio and work is up here job, you know, will happen. Um, but put all your time and effort into studio. Um, but then, yeah, part of my studio practice was, uh, was curating, which was, um, how do I describe that? I probably think
0: probably not a big money generator.
1: Oh no, not at all. Again, the total, total money suck. And like yep. a lot of time, a lot of effort and things like that. But, um, I think there's just like energy around curating where you're just like meeting with people, you're chatting, yeah. new yep. conversations, exposure. Um, so for me, I, you know, a year out of undergrad, I, you know, there's always the idea of like, Oh, I'll go back to grad school or something like that. Hmm. Um, and so I explored a couple options. I looked into like auditing classes. Like I was kind of interested in art history too. So I looked around at a couple things and at the same time, this like a storefront gallery in like Chinatown, kind of twin two bridges area, um, became available for sublet for, uh, the month of August. Cool. And so I did this little like a, like, like price analysis of like, uh, You know, the cost of this studio, this like gallery storefront versus like a class. And I'm like, well, let me just like.
0: Oh, that's a cool equation. Yeah. I was like, let me just rent
1: this like pop up space for a month and I'll put on a bunch of shows and it will cost the same as doing this class. But at the end of the day, I'm going to have, you know, this experience versus like just doing an essay or something. Um, and so, yeah. And so I opted for that. I ended up collaborating with, um, somebody who went to, uh, same program, but was in graduate school when I was an undergrad. Uh-huh. Um, and for that month, we did like five shows in that little space. And it was Boy. just insane. Wow! Um, I think we had like 30 something people. There were like designers involved and musicians and performances. And just like, we just like went all out on this space. Um, cause, you know, we just had that month. So we were just trying to program the fuck out of it. Um, and I think the energy behind that was just like super addictive. And so like once I did that, it was just like, well, let's just keep doing that and let's like reprioritize life to like be more involved with opportunities like that and creating opportunities like that.
0: So cool. Uh, Listen, I promised to let you go at 6.30, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. we need to let you go. Uh, I was also going to ask you about some advice for your younger self, but unless there's anything you wanted to add, I think that last piece in particular, I thought there was so much good advice for younger artists in there that I kind of feel like we covered it. Unless there was something else you wanted to throw in a, a one-liner about always believing in yourself?
1: Uh, <laughs> I would say, yeah, I, the, the things I would give to myself, it's, you know, uh, don't apply to so many open calls. Hmm. You don't, right. it's like, great advice. Like it's really not necessary. Um, it's more important if you get together with your friends and like make something happen, like put on your own show. Awesome advice. Um, you'll get a lot more of that out of that experience. Um, and you'll kind of sow seeds for the future and like future bonds and stuff like that. You will. Um, second piece of advice is just like, uh, don't be afraid of mistakes. Mm. Uh, you know, on any level, they're really helpful. Um, and don't, don't be too much of a perfectionist and don't hold yourself to a crazy high standard. Just kind of like, you know, commit to working for, you know, five, 10 years and have that be the big mission. And if you can do that, just keep it simple. Cool. Yeah.
0: Katie, okay. is there anything you want to plug uh, coming up, like shows coming up? That, oh,
1: damn. Yeah. You know, anything
0: uh, we can throw in here for, for you?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm excited. There are two international shows that are going up uh, at the end of this month and maybe a show here in L.A., but um, i keep you posted on the L.A. show, but sure. one, the international shows, one is in Taiwan and one is in Seoul. Um, one, the one in soul is a two person show, which I'm super excited about. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of new work coming out, so I'm excited to share it.
0: Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. This was a lot of fun and, uh, I wish you well.
1: Hell yeah. Thank you.
0: (laughs) And that was my conversation with Katie Hector. If you'd like to find out more about Katie's work, please check the episode description for links to her Instagram and website depending on when you're listening to this episode, Katie has a group show coming up with the whole gallery this fall and a solo booth with Management Gallery at Notta Miami in December. If you have any questions, please email me at artmatterspodcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to write, review, and subscribe. It really helps out. We are getting close to the end of Art Matters LA edition. We have two more artists coming up for my trip to LA, And shortly thereafter, we'll be getting to Art Matters New York edition with a couple of Detroit artists sprinkled in between. And as always, thanks for listening. Hope to see you back for the next episode.